I liked it quite a bit. I don't know how it actually skipped my radar because I like the whole neo-Nazi sort of thing. I loved American History you X. You want to say that differently, maybe? I do want to say that differently. <laughs> I like the whole uh, anti-fascist beating up fascist thing. Okay. Is that? Sure. Okay. Um, wait, I think we might have lost some of our audience. No. Never oh, what? <laughs> the one fascist that we had in the our one, audience? The one fascist that was listening. <laughs> Sorry, Jethro. Um <laughs> Stupendosaurus Rex. I'm your host, Jason. I'm Jeremy. And we're here to talk at you about some movies. Uh, anything, anything cool happening in your little world? Um, no. <laughs> Deep chill of space. Huh? Oh, no. Um. Oh, yeah. So, the... Shutter released a new little like series, like a little eight-episode series for Critters. I don't know if you remember Critters or not. I remember Critters. A yeah. series? Yeah, that's called Critters, A New Binge. And uh, it's eight episodes, and my initial thought it was going to be like um, eight half-hour or hour-long episodes. And they're like ten minutes long. Oh. You ser- it's seriously, they could have... It's a ch- quick... You seriously, there's eight episodes. You could have put out an hour and like 20-minute movie. Yeah. But they broke it up into eight episodes for some reason. For so people could watch on their bus ride. I guess, and I don't know. It's it's fine. It's it's like the later entries, like the comedy is ramped up, and uh-huh. so there's not much even attempt at horror. And um, most of the comedy is pretty bad, but it's got like it's got like Gilbert Gottfried in it, but they don't really make a whole lot of use of him, and it's got. Thomas Lennon from Reno 911. He's got a small part in it, but they don't make a lot of use of him either. I mean, he gets one decent action scene, but that's about it. So, hmm. eh, it's a bit of a disappointment. But if you're a fan of Critters, or if somebody in the audience is a fan of Critters, then uh, I mean, it's worth checking out, I guess. But yeah, I, I don't know if I did anything else. Um, I mean, obviously I did other things, but I don't know if I did anything that's worth talking about. Yeah, so. I, I I didn't do a whole lot worth talking about, yeah. but I did uh, I did binge watch the shit out of Tin Star. Oh yeah, busted through that, and you weren't joking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's like starts off happy family, whatever, moved to Canada, and then not even second episode, like right there, the last two minutes of the first episode, boom. Yeah. Dark, yeah. and then it's just a weird ass fucking <laughs> hellscape ride of depravity, and I don't know. Other than Tin Star, I started uh, 
binge watching. I uh, Netflix showed they had new episodes of Arrested Development. Okay. And I haven't watched that show in a while. I don't think I caught up on the previous stuff they had either. So I just kind of started binge watching through some of those. And the other thing, the thing that I forgot, the other thing that I, that I did is I wound up catching up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because I had like... I'm way behind on yeah, that. I had like stopped somewhere in like the middle of the last season. Oh. And realized... Well, I mean, I, I had known that it was on... I don't know, Amazon Prime or Netflix. I don't remember which one. But I, remember, I, I knew that it was on one of those services, and I just had never gotten around to going back and catching up on it. And for whatever reason, this was the week to do that. And I don't know why I keep doing that, because the show is pretty dumb at this point. But yeah. It's, I think it's just one of those things where I've invested so much into it at this point that I just might as well keep going. That's kind of where I'm at with Walking Dead, too. I, like, I just I keep going. Now, I was fine giving up on Walking Dead. Walking Dead just kind of killed off all the characters that I liked. It's like, all right, well, there's no reason to watch this show anymore. So, Yeah, or that's pretty much most of what I was doing, binge-watching stuff. But uh, looking forward to Game of Thrones. And then there is a, is it this weekend? Last drive-in? Friday. Friday. Yep. So, um, can't think of anything else really coming up that I'm super excited about, like I am the, the last drive-in, but, uh. Right. But that's, uh, that's kind of the main thing. Last Drive-In, Game of Thrones, those are kind of the main things I'm looking forward to for the next little bit. Uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone is going to be coming out pretty soon. Is that coming on Shutter? Or? No, it's CBS All Access. So, I'm excited for that. I'm hoping that it's good. Yeah. The first episode has a stepdad from the last movie in it. I want to say Adam something, but I... Scott, Adam Scott. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Boom. Um, so I guess let's uh, talk about a movie. Okay. What movie should we talk about, Jason? Uh, yours. Should we talk about Green Room? Yeah. From 2015? Yeah. Directed by... I think I've been pronouncing his name Saulnier, but I think his name is actually pronounced Jeremy Saulnier. And... Uh, it stars... Um, Anton Yelchin. Well, yeah. Okay, so it, The Ain't Rights is the name of the band. Yeah. And the band is made up of Anton Yelchin as Pat, Joe Cole as Reese, that's the drummer, um, Aaliyah Shawkat as Sam, and Callum Turner as Tiger. In the green room, there was uh, Imogen Poots as Amber, Taylor Toons as Emily. Emily is the one who does not survive the... Mm. Um, she's the one that kicks off the whole ordeal, I guess. Uh, Brent Worsner as Worm, who is also the guy who kicks off the whole ordeal. And then Eric Idlestein as Big Justin, who winds up getting a box cutter to the gut. Uh, the Skinheads, Patrick Stewart as Darcy. Um Macon Blair as Gabe. He's the bartender guy that winds up helping him out at the very end. Goes to call the cops. Mark Webber as Daniel. He's the traitor. He's the guy that helps him out in the middle of the film and then gets like a shotgun blast in the face. They're trying to make their big escape. Um, Kyle Lennox plays Clark. He's the dog trainer. 
And then Samuel Summers plays Jonathan, who is, I guess, the eager Nazi who <clears throat> gets into the fight with um, Anton Yelchin over the shotgun at the end of the movie. And then uh, the last person, just a, another guy who's not really affiliated with anything, was um, David W. Thompson as Tad. He's the interviewer at the beginning of the movie that actually sets them up with the gig that gets them in trouble in the first place. Jerk. Almost ends their tour. So then he promised a big bucks for the next gig. Yeah, or at least a decent enough paycheck to keep their their tour going. But so they're uh, the Ain't Rights are like a like a hardcore punk band that tours. Well, they're in the process of touring across the country, and they happen to be in the Pacific Northwest at this point in time. Yep. And they're up somewhere in the I think Seattle area at the beginning of the film. It could be Portland, but I think it's Seattle. In order to um, play a gig and to do an interview for a kind of college radio magazine thing. And the interviewer is the guy who set them up with the gig, and the gig that he set them up with winds up not paying shit, and effectively ends their um, their tour. Yep. And so he feels bad for it, and he gets a hold of his cousin, who works at a bar down in Oregon, um, that uh, nobody, I don't think it's revealed uh, at this point, but it winds up being a neo-Nazi hangout, like in the middle of the woods. And so they play a, a punk show for a bunch of neo-Nazis. And being that they are... Um, Not assholes? Well, I mean, they're assholes, oh. but they're uh, they're more like anti-fascist assholes than yeah. fascist assholes. Yeah. Uh, so they open up their set with um, Nazi punks fuck off and uh, get a death stare from a guy named Worm, who then goes into the back of the room and winds up uh, killing... Somebody else. Somebody else. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the band. Or with nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> they wind up stumbling over the crime scene because of a forgotten cell phone that they have to go back for um, and wind up just walking into the green room, which is where the murder is committed, in which Worm has killed uh, a neo-Nazi chick. Um, we don't actually know why at the time, but it turns out that her and another neo-Nazi were planning on uh, splitting. Yeah. And taking a bunch of evidence with them that could get the neo-Nazis uh, in trouble with the cops. But I don't think that that's the actual reason that they killed him. I think Worm wound up killing her in a jealous rage over something. I don't remember exactly what this is. And it just so happened that her and Daniel, this other neo-Nazi, were traitors and were planning on splitting. So he inadvertently... Like he wasn't smart enough to figure that out himself. Right. He, he just was inadvertently, jealous. Yeah. yeah, he inadvertently wound up saving the Nazis from at least that particular fuck. Right. Because he doesn't ultimately save them. No, he doesn't. No. So basically, uh, the punk band winds up being held in the green room while Darcy, the owner of the club, is called being played by uh, Patrick Stewart. Owner club slash neo-Nazi leader. Yeah. Slash brain slash whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's the big head honcho. Um and And he's Sir Patrick Stewart, so Yes. And um there winds up being a shift of power within the green room and the uh and the ain't rights, the punk band find themselves kind of in charge of the green room, but they can't leave the green room yeah. because they are surrounded by Nazis who want them to be uh dead. And the Nazis can't outright kill them because uh, Darcy, who's the brains, 
behind the operation um, knows that he can't have any heat brought down on his club or it's pretty much done days they're growing or they're uh, they're packaging heroin right. in the cellar so he has to make everything look like an accident or I mean his ultimate plan is to make it look like they were trespassing and were shot because they were trespassers um, and that they were trespassing on his actual property as opposed to at the um, club at the club the public public venue yeah I like the line he had uh, he said let him bleed later is better for time of death right yeah um, this was after one of the guys had been uh, stabbed a bunch of times yeah but he wasn't, the window. wasn't dead yet yeah but he wasn't he wasn't dead yet so yeah I mean this is a brutal fucking film most of the band does not make it out uh, the neo-Nazi chick who was killed um, her name is Emily she has a friend named Amber who's played by uh, Imogen Poots who winds up uh, siding with the punk band against the neo-Nazis because her friend was killed uh, and she sort of winds up becoming a badass as the film goes on and winds up becoming like the second lead which is interesting because at the beginning of the film she's very like yeah. looked over yeah. which was intentionally it's a done. cool it's a cool character story arc for sure for sure yeah that's the basic setup for the film. Um, I thought uh, overall, I thought the show kind of started off. Uh, it started off a little bit slow. Sure, it felt like didn't really start picking up until the Oregon show. Right. Um, by the end, I don't know what they could have done to appease this for me, but but by the end of it, I wanted more. Like, it had a good ending. It ended fine where it was, but I, I wanted more. Like, it felt cut short almost, except I'm not sure what they could have done. You know what I'm saying? Sure. but Well, kind of. I mean, I, do you mean do you mean it was an unsatisfying ending? No, no. I, 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 thought, it was, I thought it was a fine ending uh, okay. for a movie in general. But, so, but by the end, I was like, oh, it's over. Okay, okay, so you're just, you're, by the end of the film, you're just getting into it, and then the exactly, film ends. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's... that's well, I suppose in that case, they could have started by putting more at the beginning. True. To make the film... Done some of the flashback forward. type stuff, maybe some Pulp Fiction cutaway. Maybe, true. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, don't, I didn't have that problem. I was fine with where it was at. Like, I, I didn't... I did... Uh, I want to go through the band... Okay. Real quick. Again, I, I know you mentioned them uh, uh, up top, but uh, uh, go through them. Go through them again. One, sorry. Okay. Anton Yelchin. He played Pat. Bass player. Yes. So bass player got his hand fucked up. Yes. Yeah. His 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 days are his guitar playing or guitar playing days are bass done. playing days yeah. are over. So. And then next. Uh, that was Joel Joe Cole as Reese. He's the drummer. The drummer. What happened to him for injury? I forget. Was he injured in any way? One of them, well, yeah, all the entire band died except for Anton Yelchin. Right. One of them got his throat chewed out by the. That dog. was the singer. Okay, then. So the that's drummer. that's where I was going. Like, I, I noticed those were the two main ones I noticed. I was like, first Anton Yelchin, his hand all fucked up. I'm like, oh fuck, and then the singer gets his throat ripped out, and I was like, oh fuck, if they survive. <laughs> There's no way they're going to be able to do the thing that they right. were doing. Maybe Anton Yelchin with a lot of therapy and some reconstructive surgery and who knows what else. But 
and yeah. be pushing it, you know. But yeah. So then the drummer was the uh, he's the guy that got stabbed when he came out the window. Slow bleed. So yeah. maybe a joke about timing with drummers, maybe. Sure. Maybe. All right. And then mm-hmm. Aaliyah Shawkat, I guess, was the guitarist. Guitarist. Yeah. Um, and she got eaten by a dog too. Dog got her as well. I don't know. I was trying to think maybe maybe there's something the the director sure. was trying to do with the band, you know, take away their sort of power, I guess, if if you will. Overall, the uh, sort of reminiscent of brings me back to a little American history acts with the neo Nazi stuff like that. Sure. Uh, then throw in a little bit of SLC punk, punk. you know. Right. Uh, and there was something else. Like, I was trying to come up with the... Th- There's, like, three movies going on here that... Star Trek The Next Generation? Because <laughs> of Jean-Luc. Well, yes, yeah. because he's the captain of that right, particular... Right, because he's the captain. Right, right. No, there was, there was a third one that was, like, just tickling at the back of my brain that I couldn't quite come up with. My, my notes, I wrote uh, American History X meets SLC Punk meets blank I don't know there's there's another one that was just uh, I don't know I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit uh, the music was actually pretty good too but yeah uh, not sure how it sort of skipped my uh, notice because I actually I really liked Anton Yelchin too yeah. was this his last movie or close um, to his last so little bits of trivia this was the last theatrical movie to be released uh, before his death. There was some stuff that was released afterwards, like the last uh, Star Trek movie, I think, that came out yeah. was released after his death. The paintball story that they keep talking about in the film actually happened. That is a real story about the director and some of his friends and the guy, the, the guy Rick, that they keep talking about. He actually did what they talk about in that story. All right. So... Another interesting fact, both Jeremy Saulnier and Anton Yelchin um, were in punk bands when they were younger. Hmm. Um, so they brought a lot of that experience to this. And Aaliyah Shawkat was also, she, had, she at least had musical experience. I don't know if she was in a band or not, but she at least had musical experience coming into this. But both um, Joe Cole and Callum Turner uh, had to learn from scratch when they took the film. So one of them had to learn how to play drums. The other one had to learn to punk sing, which I, I, mean, I don't know how much. Sure. I don't know if he played any instruments or not either. I just watched this fucking film and I already don't remember. Like, no, I, is- I, I remember the bass and the regular guitar and the drums. Yeah. Lead singer didn't have anything. Okay, works for me. Anyway. But, um, that, speaking of Arrested Development too, Ali Shawcat. Boom. What? Aaliyah. Aaliyah. Same thing. Sure. I, mean, actually, I think she might actually go by Ali, so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, all, all said and done, like uh, Jeremy Saulnier and um, Macon Blair have worked together on like three films that I can think of. They worked together on Murder Party, in which Macon Blair was one of the um, one of the guys who invited the main character to the, to the party. Um, and that movie is also, I think these are all on um, Netflix. Blue Ruin was the next movie they worked on together, and um, Macon Blair was the main character in that film. Um, and then Green Room they worked on and making Blair had a smaller part where he was just the, the bartender guy in this one. But they've been best friends since, like, they were kids, so. 
yeah, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I'd probably recommend other people to like it for or to check it out. Yeah. I recommend you like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd probably watch it again, too, honestly. I, I thought it was uh, pretty good. I mean, American History X kind of makes the rounds in my viewing every, I don't know, couple years or so, it seems like. Yeah. No, I watched American History X a couple of times around the time that it came out. I just never watched it again. It's got two positive and uplifting of a message green room is just dark yeah <laughs> very very walled in and claustrophobic like one one scene sort of a yeah play yeah just a bunch of people trapped in a room for a long time and then it it ends i mean pretty bad for almost everybody so <laughs> uh, yes it does I think the only one who gets out of there mostly unscathed is uh image and poots so <laughs> Speaking of walled in and claustrophobic, Brick, uh, 2005 release, director writer Ryan Johnson. It was his first feature length debut. Uh, later, he went on to work with Joseph Gordon Levitt again in Looper. And uh, he also did The Lost Jedi. <clears throat> I don't. Ryan Johnson is somebody that I don't understand. I don't. I don't like. He's got to have like family or something in the business, or got extremely lucky when he was making connections because after he did Looper, he didn't do anything for a while, and then they just gave him Star Wars. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he did uh, during that him not doing anything bit. Uh, he apparently did some music videos and stuff for some right. people, but that's yeah. Pretty much, he, he he didn't do anything at the same level of Looper, and then all of a sudden, here here's the Last Jedi. But granted, I think, uh, I mean, there was issues with the Last Jedi director from before, sure. And it sounded like they were cycling through directors too. They were having problems finding a, a director to well, pick it maybe, up. Maybe, but it, even even before the Last Jedi was released, they had already given Ryan Johnson his own Star Wars trilogy to start working yeah. on. Yeah. So something's going on with this guy. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. But Last Jedi was a fucking shit film. And Looper wasn't too great either. I liked Looper. And it's fine. It's a fine film, but it's it's not great. Like it's not it's not anything that wowed me. I mean it's like sort of quantum leap, uh kind of. Sorta of, but darker. It's like it could have been a made for T V movie. Like it's there's nothing yeah. it could have been a sci fi movie, like it like the channel. Except that it had Bruce Willis. <laughs> sure, but it also had it also had what's his face Joseph Gordon Levitt. So, yeah. So, um, let's see. Blah blah blah. Uh, he wrote the script in '97. Apparently, yeah. Finished the script in '97. Took him six years to find enough funding to get Brick going. It makes a lot of sense because um, the thing that this film reminded me of most were the kind of low-budget indie, like, nihilistic teenager movies of the mid to late 90s, like Doom Generation and no. um, uh, maybe some of the Harmony Corinne mil- films like Kids and Gummo and um, even some of the later stuff like Spun, which came out in, like, 2002, I think. Also, like, Freeway, which I think came out in 97. But this film really reminds me of those kind of mid to late 90s sort of I nihilistic see, teenager films. Yeah, I could see where it had that so, uh, 
that sort of feel as well. That's not the initial thing I picked up on uh, watching it, of course. It has uh, that 1930s, 1940s Humphrey Bogart sort of... Well, they were going for that, but yeah, it didn't have that. It. it didn't have I, that feel. I, I, thought, I thought it had that feel quite a bit. No, it but. felt more like... Um, because everybody's talking in like slang, it felt a lot like they were trying uh, for like a Heather's sort of thing where the director created his own slang to go with the film because it, it didn't it didn't feel natural. Like it didn't feel like I don't know. I, I, I liked it uh, because I picked up on that, the, the hard boiled. And, well, and yes, I, they were they were going for it. Yeah, I knew they were going for yeah. it. It just didn't feel like that to me at all. So um I mean, he full on borrowed ideas straight out of the Maltese Falcon and yeah. stuff too, um, and also like Cowboy Bebop. So yeah, yeah. the the stylization of it. I know. I mean, they they had aspects in it like uh, uh, like the dialogue. There was dialogue. You know, keep your specs on. Uh, I've got knives in my eyes. I'm going home. You know. I yeah. mean I mean, stuff like that that would have come from one of those. Uh, well, that's the thing. It did books back in the day. It didn't feel like that to me. Yeah. It really felt like the Heather sort of thing where he's trying to come up with his own slang. Huh. And it, because of the way that he presents the film as, I mean, I guess we're going way off topic on this, but because he tries to present the film as a like 1940s sort of noir film, but doesn't really use any of the stylistic uh, film elements of noir. He mostly just uses, I mean, because it's a low budget film. He mostly just uses dialogue that's sort of supposed to emulate noir and a plot line that's supposed to feel like a noir film's plot line. It doesn't it, and characters that kind of well, emulate right, that but as well. It, do, it doesn't it doesn't come together because you you've lost the stylistic element, which is the primary. Like film is a visual medium, and the first thing that you notice in a noir film is the style, the cinematography of a, a noir film is very specific. And he doesn't capture that in this film. Most of this film is out in broad-ass daylight, yeah. which is just almost a giant no-no for a noir film. Yeah, I so, mean, there there is some, like, you know, uh, shadow casting stuff, using the light and stuff. But, yes, for the most part, it's in the middle of daytime. But it's also so, supposed to be taking place mostly around a high school over two days, which the main time the high school is open is during the day. So, mm-hmm. but I, guess, I guess like, I guess the better option would have been maybe you know film it on some cloudier days. Well, yeah, but like I mean that. that's also why it feels like Heather's, like more like Heather's, and it yeah. feels like a noir film because it takes place in and around a high school. Right. Um, it's just like there almost isn't a reason for it to take place in and around a high school. Like if you're going for a noir film, just go full noir. All of the actors are old enough to play adults. Like they, I mean, like I think the main leads were like in their mid twenties when this came out. So I think he's he's kind of stuck on because uh, uh, he he wrote it. He finished the script itself in ninety seven, right? And he's about our age. Yeah. So he had like just graduated high school. He was probably working on this while he was in high school. So kind of. That's where he's focused, and in that case, probably yes, he does have friends in the biz or connections, family somehow. Because what kid straight out of high school is gonna eventually get a uh, <laughs> career ruling like that? But uh, so uh, Brendan, lead character uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who we said was in Looper, 
Uh, he was also in Inception. And did you see Snowden? Yes. Yeah. yeah he, he, played. he played Snowden, too, yeah. which I, I thought he did a really good job at. Brian, or Brain, sorry, Brain, was played by Matt O'Leary. Um, he was in uh, Live Free or Die Hard. He's also in Project Blue Book. Have you watched any of those? Doesn't even sound familiar. It's uh, on the History Channel. Project Blue Book. It's about the UFO cover-up, stuff like that. But it's a dramatic... It's it's not... It's like a it's a TV show. It's not uh, just a normal, like, history, you know. Sure. It's more along the lines of, like, Vikings or Nightfall or, or those shows that history's putting out where they're... You know, actual story. Not at all educational. Yeah. Just entertainment. Exactly. Just entertainment. Exactly. Right. Laura was kind of the sort of Audrey Hepburn looking gal of the. Was she the main girl or was she the one that got killed? She was the main one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, okay. I'll played by that. Nora. Nora. I can't even pronounce her last name. <laughs> Zaheeder. Something like that. What? Nora Zaheeder. Zaheeder. How's that spelled? Z E H E T H E R. Sounds like Zaheeder. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, most of her roles have been TV from going through her stuff. Uh, but she was in Heroes. Uh, Pin, the Kingpin, was played by Lucas Haas. Yeah, from Mars Attacks and nothing else you need to watch. Uh, Zoolander. Yeah, he can skip that too. Revenant. You can definitely skip that. <laughs> uh, and then Emily. Emily was the one that got killed. Okay. Um, and her real name's Emily as well. Uh, Emily D- De Ravine. And she also was in a lot of TV and 2006 version of The Hills Have Eyes. So, uh, just found a connection between Green Room and Brick. Um, the main murder, the crux of both films... Uh, is a murdered Emily. Oh. Both of the chicks that get killed in these films that start off the start the ball rolling, their name their character's name is Emily. I did not pick up on that even though I watched these back to back. Yeah. I just picked up on it, so yeah. because I am a genius. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, basically overall though, uh Jer's right. Uh, what brick, 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 brick is basically it, it's it's trying to be the detective noir, oh, right? You know, nineteen forties detective noir um, sort of story. Uh, you have a crime, in this case, a murder. Um, you got the ex boyfriend Brendan who's trying to solve the whole thing. Uh, there's a kingpin of crime in here who is really old at twenty six. I also forgot uh, to mention the star of the show, Assistant Vice Principal Truman, played by Richard Roundtree, who okay. is Shaft, Sure. by the way, okay. and he's a bad mother. Doesn't he, isn't he in like one scene? Shut your mouth. No, he's in a couple. Uh, he, okay. he drags Brennan into his office a couple times. Um, okay. But uh, basically, I mean, he's playing... He, he's basically playing the police sergeant, police lieutenant, sort of like that role, you know, for 
this world for this high school uh, right. for Brendan. Like he's right. like, leave this alone, you yeah. know, like you know that whole You're thing. You're badging your gun. Now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like he's playing that role for this movie, and uh, I I appreciated it. I guess. I guess <laughs> that whole segment. I mean, not that segment specifically, but that whole aspect of the movie where this is all taking place within the confines of a school, but is much better suited to being in a police station or a detective's office or something along those lines. Uh-huh. That's the biggest stretch of unbelievability that you kind of have to, like it's the it's the one area of the film where I kind of like, I keep going, why not, why put it in the school? Like why does it need to be in the school? I just keep going back to that. And if they had done something interesting and creative with that, I would have been fine with it. But they didn't. They just transposed a story that would normally take place with a detective and a and a chief of police or whatever yeah. into a school as opposed like it just feels like there should have been something added in there to make that relevant and it really I wasn't. think I, I think the main thing maybe you're missing like like again I mean he wrote this well yeah I know I get came that came up with the idea while he was in high school wanted to keep it in I high school I get all that so. and that he is and this that, was the actual high school he went yes, to too yeah. so I get all of that, and yeah. I get that he is just out of high school and he doesn't have the best ideas in the world at this point in time. <laughs> but it really feels like this is a major oversight in the film. This is one of those things where you ask yourself after you've written your screenplay, why? And if you don't have any solid answer other than, I just love my high school or what the fuck ever, then cut it out. Kill your darlings. Yeah. If, you, if it's not actually contributing to the film you don't need it well maybe that's why sometimes you need somebody maybe that's why sometimes you need a separate writer and a separate director sure at least you need somebody to go over you need you need the guy that george lucas didn't have during the prequels to go no (sighs) yeah and you also need the guy that ryan johnson didn't have during the last jedi who goes no yeah you just need that guy yeah Ryan Johnson, that's it. He's the new George Lucas. He's uh, the guy that nobody says no to, and they fucking start needing to. Yeah. I don't know. There's a whole crop of new actors, and they all seem to... I'm not actors, directors, and they all seem to revolve around the same... Like, it's like Joss Whedon and fucking... Um, I don't know if I'd call him a new... Well, he's, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. he's the new wave of director. Right. And it, he he's the one who sort of actually kind of kicked all this shit off with a weird, inex, inexplicable... Um, Gimmicks? Popularity. Just oh. the popularity of this guy. But there's... An, well, I mean, he did Buffy for like... I know he did. You know, that's why he's so popular is because of Buffy. Sure. But Buffy isn't... I'm, I'm not, I don't know. This isn't a story <laughs> about Buffy or even Joss Whedon. I'm just saying... Him and J.J. Abrams and, like, Ryan Johnson. Like, they're all this sort of... These guys that just sort of revolve around each other. Yeah. And they get a whole lot of praise for things that don't seem particularly praiseworthy to me. Joss Whedon is probably the fundamentally the best director who has the best skill set and all that out of all of them. I'm just... He's, he's been, probably been doing it longer sure. than most but of them, too. I so. think even from the beginning, he was probably more talented. And that in and of itself probably explains... A certain amount of his popularity he just doesn't do things that speak to me like almost ever uh-huh. i mean you could say the avengers would probably be the closest to that but the avengers is also very closely monitored by 
you know, Kevin Feige and everybody else above saying this is what needs to happen in these stories and you have to work within these parameters. Right. So even though the Avengers and Age of Ultron are both Joss Whedon films, neither one of them necessarily feel, feels like a Joss Whedon film except during some of the dialogue sequences. Well, I think you have the same thing going on with um, uh, like J.J. Abrams too when he did uh, Star Trek. Sure. You know, he, he had certain parameters he had to stay within as well. And honestly, a lot of the... I think the parameters that he had to stay within, though, are just those that are dictated by the fans of the original series. Maybe. I don't really yeah. think there was an overlord going, J.J. Abrams, you have to do this specifically. Because those J.J. Abrams Star Wars films depart tonally. Star Trek. Oh, sorry. Those sorry. those J.J. Those Abrams Star, Star Trek films tonally depart from the actual Star Trek the franchise series as a whole. and all that. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. They're very much action films, which yeah. Star Trek is not an action film property. Overall, yeah. Yeah, it is mostly about exploration and living together in a spaceship. Yes, community and Kinda all like that our show. stuff. Exactly. Exactly like our show. <laughs> almost as good a quality as our show. Yeah, almost. Not quite, but almost there. Well, we have the technology. Yes. J.J. Abrams did not do a version of our show maybe, that is worth... Maybe he should. No. No? Okay. He absolutely should not. Because this is the problem <laughs> with J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams doesn't have a voice of his own. J.J. Abrams is... He's a forger. He's really good at mimicking other people's styles, specifically Steven Spielberg's style. Yeah. But he doesn't have a voice of his own. And if you need any um, proof of that... Just go back and watch Lost again. That show is tonally all over the fucking place. He drew all of his fucking inspirations from all over the place and tried to cram them into one thing, but there's no voice there. It's just, I like this, and I like this. Let's put them together. And I'm going to cram it all together. So, Ryan Johnson follows in these people's kind of footsteps. He is this guy who, he doesn't seem to have very good instincts about the movies that he makes. Like, it seems like he lucks out most of the time. Well, I mean, not even most of the time. It seems like the only time that he really lucked out was Looper. Yeah, it's, uh, honestly, I, I mean, I, I liked this one, too. I liked Brick, personally. Right. I liked it quite a bit. I also liked Looper. And honestly, that's all I've liked from him so far. And he's yeah. been doing it for a well, while Yeah, but now. he doesn't have a whole lot of credit. But he either, doesn't. So. He doesn't. But he... <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I mean if he's going to get a Star Wars film, he definitely should have yeah. some more. Stuff a little bit under more street belt. cred, yeah. But yeah. this film, um, I don't hate this movie. Yeah. But it doesn't. There's just too much in the film that leaves me going, why did you make that choice? Like, why was that the direction that you wanted to go with the film? Why not? I mean, there is a certain amount of, um, like, I guess early 20s, late teen, early 20s rebellion, like angsty rebellion even that I could get behind. Like, I don't want to do the movie that everybody thinks that I should do. Um, he does that even with the, the Last Jedi where he bucks, where everybody has certain expectations for who Kylo Ren is, who uh, Rey is, who Snoke is. Yeah. And then he just kind of... Shits all over it. He shits all over yeah. it. And I think he does that because he likes the idea of bucking those trends. Yeah. But he doesn't have a good 
He doesn't have the cred to buck trans. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, he, he shouldn't be doing that shit. Sure, but he also doesn't have a good reason for doing that either. Yeah. There's nothing behind it. It's just... He's just doing it for shock value. Sure, and, that's what it feels and it's, like. And it's empty shock value, yes. too. Like, there, there's no fucking point behind the shock value. Yeah, but that's how I feel this yeah. film is. Not necessarily with shock value. It's just, I did it this way because I wanted to do it this way. Yeah. As opposed to having a solid reason as to why it is that way. That's how this film makes me feel. If this film had actually come out in 97 when he was writing it, I think I would have had a much higher, um, not expectation. You're, you're, say, you're saying if it came out in 97 and you saw it in 97? Yes. Okay. I would have, I think I would have um, enjoyed the movie more. I think I, I would have been in the right mindset, I guess, where I was still young and I was still stupid and I wasn't doing a lot of, um, I don't want to say rational thought, uh because I, I can't think of any of the words that I used to know when I was a kid <laughs> anymore. Um, critical thought. I wasn't doing right, a lot of critical right. thought um, at that age. It was very. I was very reactive, and this film feels reactive. It doesn't feel like. It just doesn't feel like he had a reason behind why he made the film the way he mm-hmm. did, other than maybe I have a low budget to work with, and these are the areas that I can get people to let me record or film at. Yeah. That, it may be that simple. It may act, be absolutely that simple. But at the end of the day, it's as a as a person who uh, recommends a crack in the floor, this film just doesn't do it for me. Like there's not enough thought put into it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> oh, I love oh. that. I love how that film recommendation just trumps all of my criticism of any other film. I know, right? It is. <laughs> But you did it for the Busey, so. Sure, sure. Um, I did find, while I was, like, looking for other stuff on this, uh, I found out Steve Carell was initially slated to play Brendan. I don't know how that would pan out. Well, I heard that. He's but, he's about the same age, honestly. Well, right, and, and it was I'm trying to see him in the role, though. Oh, like, yeah. I don't know how that would pan out. Like, Yeah. I, have you seen him in more serious roles? I've seen him in a couple of serious okay. roles, yeah. Right. But it just... I, I still don't see him as a serious actor, even having seen him in some serious stuff. Like, he always feels like a, a comedic actor to me. Even, even so. with the serious dead son cancer. Like, sure. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, like, I just, I know him from the Daily Show. I guess, like, I mean, I, I guess that's on the same par with like uh trying to see jim carrey in a serious role too yeah you know i mean like I grew uh, up with, they can do it yeah and you know that they can do it but i still see them as comedic or, or even or even robin williams like i've sure. seen he came closest to me though for for comedians trying to bridge the gap between serious and comedy uh sure. he came the closest for me with being able to convince me he could do serious and me not think of him as serious in uh, movies like Awakening, um, him and was, Robert, him and Robert De Niro. Was that the one where one of them came out of a coma? Yeah. Okay. The one that I'm thinking of, the one that always worked for me, the Robin Williams one that always worked for me, was the one where his wife committed suicide. Oh, what dreams may come. That's the one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was really good in that. He was really good in that. I kind of wish he did that. Was it like one hour photo? Yeah. 
he did that. I always creeper, want, creeper. Yeah, I always wanted that movie to be better than it was. Oh he yeah, was, it was. He was pretty good in it, but that film was a little. Yeah, he did a really good job, but the the film itself was just crap. Unfortunately, I don't know if it was crap. But it was bland. That was the problem with it. It was. It could have been a lot better. It just felt yeah. very bland to me. Crap. Sure. I mean, that's that's a lot of people's <laughs> definition of crap as far as movies go. So yeah. So I want to go back and talk about Laura. I don't remember exactly what point it was. It was after the party where she's first introduced. But I think it was within a scene or two of that that I went, oh, yeah, she's the killer. And then I just stuck with that. Like, I, I didn't have, like, a any sort of solid foundation as to why she would be the killer or anything like that. I think it might have been where she... It might have been when she confessed to him that she had been watching him. That she had a thing for him. So a jealous sort of So it was of a jealousy sort of thing that I think was going on in my head. And at that point I went, oh, she's the killer. And then I just stuck with that. Well, and you always assume there's a femme fatale. Sure. Yeah. But I stuck with that and lo and behold, she was the killer. Yeah. And I went, Ugh. I mean. So it let you down. Kind of, I guess. It was just, it was one of those things where he follows the conventions of the noir film so right. closely without actually making a noir film. It's just make a noir film. It doesn't need to take place in a school. It doesn't need to take place during the day. It definitely doesn't need to take place during the day. Uh, make it m- m- do it in black and white. Like yeah, I think I think even even despite all the other stuff, the the high school and blah blah blah. I I, I think I think. If he had done it in black and white, I think it would have been a little bit more closer to what Obvious. he was shooting for. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it might have been. Yeah, and I and I think maybe he could have gotten a little bit more recognition for this. Sure, you know, or or whatever I, people get for that. I mean, I, don't know. I feel it feels weird for me to be arguing for tradition. Which is not a thing that normally happens. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But it's just because nothing in this film seems necessary to what he was trying to accomplish. Well, and I'm I'm all for like uh, breaking the norms, breaking tradition. But if you're going to pay homage to the thing that you're trying to pay homage to, pay homage to it. You know, sure. like like do it. You want to do it in high school? Yeah, you want to do it in high school? That's fine. But yeah, yeah, go do, in, do the black all and in white. our style. Yeah. Do the black and white. Have your Humphrey Bogart, which I guess Brendan tried to get there, but he reminded me more of the guy from Cowboy Bebop that he was based on. Like yeah, he felt more yeah. like that guy. Yeah. So I don't know. But, like I, I don't know if I would recommend this film, but I would say if you do watch the film, it's it's a fine film. It's not one of those films where I say don't watch it. No, I mean there's a reason why he does get acting or uh, directing jobs still and writing jobs still. It's the same with Looper. I wouldn't say don't watch that film. It's just not a film that appealed to me specifically. And this is the same thing. Um, I honestly feel like I would have liked this film much better back in 97 than than 20 years later when I finally got around to watching it, whatever. Yeah, and I, I honestly, I think I... I, I did see this when it first came out, honestly. I think it showed up in the independent theaters. Maybe. I wanna say I wanna say we saw it in one of the independent theaters when it came out and uh 
I mean, I, I liked it then. I believe my, my wife, if I'm not incorrect, I think she liked it as well. So, um, of course, I'll never know since I'm trapped in space. Right. But yeah. I mean, you can program your hologram wife to like it if you want. That's true. That's yeah. true. Which is creepy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like the film, but I didn't hate the film. Um I will say that the beginning of the film was a sludge. Like, I had watched, like, the first 20 minutes of the film and then just had to stop because I was just, like, seriously starting to fall asleep. Um, but it does pick up after maybe the first 20 or 30 minutes, and it gets better. Um, but I don't think I'd go back and watch it again. I don't think it I don't think it really did anything for me. Huh. So, but That's sad. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I, yeah. I This is probably... Uh, Besides the first time we watched it, I um, I have watched it a few other times. I've sought it out. I I like it. Like it's I don't know. It's it's a repeat a repeat for me yeah. for sure. I th- I, I want to say maybe four times I've watched it since it came out. So it feels and I I mean I understand why it feels this way. It was written when he was really young, um, but it feels pretentious. It uh-huh. feels like very. It feels like a film that's got its head up its own ass. Like it, it's it it sniffs its farts and loves them. Like it feels like that kind of a film. Oh, the folly of youth. Yeah, exactly. It is really the folly <laughs> of youth. The whole idea that what I do is cool and awesome, but there's not there's not a whole lot holding it up. It feels like a film that's too big for its britches. That's what it feels like. So, yeah. but it's not a bad film. I mean, if you if you're an art snob or a film snob, you can go into this film with that in mind and probably uh, enjoy it um, for what it is. If you're young, I think the film would probably um, appeal more to you than it would to a 30 or 40 year old. Um, but I don't, I, I, I mean, I can't, I can't really recommend it, but I, I also can't say don't watch it if the opportunity arises either. So, all right. Yeah. Well, coming up next week on Stupendosaurus Rex. All right. Like, you're a fan of post-apocalyptic films. Yeah. And I'm a fan of ruining that for you. So um, I'm going to recommend... It's going to be a hard task because uh, you remember I recommended... uh, the worst post-apocalyptic film of all time. Right, but you didn't like that film either. That was Bad Batch. The first time. I actually came around on some of it the second time. I was like, sure. I, I enjoyed it a little bit more the second time, which was weird. I still didn't love it. Sure. And I still don't know if I would purposefully watch it a third time. But who knows? I don't know. Well, we'll see. Because this is a movie that I love, I'm pretty sure you're going to hate this film because we're going to go into the way way back in the year 1975 so that we can go to the far flung year of 2024 in which a boy and his dog travel across the wasteland and um, things happen (laughs) so yeah a boy and his dog 1975 so here's the thing about a boy and his dog. Okay. I honestly don't know if I've seen it or not. Well, we'll find out. I th- I think I have. I feel like I have, but 
My advice would be just go into it blind. Don't read up on it. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I never. I I generally don't. Um, Because of things, I think I should make you watch one more musical. So I think think Sweeney Todd is the one. Okay. I think that's where we got to go. So a boy and his dog and Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Next episode. But a boy and his dog. <sighs> what? Post-apocalyptic makes me think of Nazis, and Nazis make me think I should do a... Why does post-apocalyptic make you think of Nazis? Because we all know Nazis are going to ruin the world. <laughs> Everyone right. knows that. Okay. I mean, you could go more general, just fascists. I mean... Yeah. They don't have to be Nazis. They can just be fascists. Interchangeable. <laughs> I mean... In one way, <laughs> not necessarily in the other. True. Like every Nazi is a fascist, but not every fascist is a Nazi. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, I really want to make you watch Sweeney Todd, so. <laughs> okay. A lot of him and hawing to get to where you were already. I know. Okay. All right. So, next time on Stupendosaurus Rex, a boy and his dog and Sweeney Todd. You can follow us on oh, yeah. Stupendosaurus Rex and Stupendous underscore Rex on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Stupendosaurus Rex. Um, and for those of you who are uh, spelling challenged, um, I, I don't mean that as an insult. I get it. It's S-T-U-P-E-N-D-O-U-S-A-U-R-U-S-R-E-X. We're 100% sorry. For that, uh, I've been Jeremy. I'm Jeremy. This is Jeremy signing off. <laughs> I don't know how we do that anymore. I don't know. I'm Jason. Bye. Bye. This horrible episode that we've just done is dedicated to the memory of Anton Yeltsin. Yeah, it is sad that he's gone. So, I mean, it would have been sadder if he hadn't done those Star Trek films, but since he did those, that kind of takes a little bit of the edge off. Like, I'm kind of glad that he's gone, kind of. Because <laughs> now he can't do any more? <laughs> because those movies are terrible and everybody involved with them should... Even Carl Urban has lost a few points because of being in those what? movies. Dude, Carl Urban played the best Dr. McCoy. Oh my God, he was so good. No, he fucking didn't. He was, so he was the best in those films, but he didn't play the best Dr. McCoy at all because there have only been two Dr. McCoys. That's true. And Forrest Whitaker played the best Dr. McCoy. And I don't even like Star Trek. <laughs> I see your point. <laughs> and, and I may have to agree with you on it. However, to rephrase, I thought Carl Urban did the best impression of Forrest Whitaker playing sure. Dr. McCoy. That's, that's where I meant to go with that. Like, he nailed For, Forrest Whitaker? No. Um... DeForest, right. DeForest Kelly. DeForest Kelly. Sorry. You said Forrest <laughs> yes, Whitaker. Yes, I right? did. Okay. Definitely not Forrest Whitaker. I was like... DeForest <laughs> Kelly. <Okay>. Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, I told you I don't like Star Trek. <laughs> Shut up, Trekkies. I don't care.
I don't care who played Bones. No, what, no, what's even worse is I didn't pick up on it until I repeated the name that you said. Like, yeah. Like, I would have normally... Wait. The best part is all of the audience picked up on it immediately. Right. You're right. While we were just sitting there going with yeah, it. They I, were like, no, no. Yeah. I, ha- I had to repeat that to be like, oh, wait. that's That doesn't feel right. DeForest Whitaker. <laughs> Okay.